Amen. All right, check this out. This uh, One day, get this, this is a rough day. At least this is what I think. One day, everybody on earth died and went to heaven. How many guys would say that's a rough one? Okay, you might miss the Super Bowl for that. Okay, so, so God came and he said, listen, everybody's in heaven. And so God says, all right, I want the men to make two lines. Two lines, okay? One line for the husbands that controlled their wives on earth and the other line for the husbands that were controlled by their wives. And I want all the wives to go with St. Peter. Okay? Well, with that said and done, the wives, they were off with St. Peter. And sure enough, there was two lines. Okay? However, listen. The line of the husbands that were controlled by their wives was a hundred miles long. Yeah. And in the line of the husbands that controlled their wives, there was only one guy. One man. And so God looked at the men in the hundred mile long line and he says, You men should be ashamed of yourselves. I created you in my image to be the spiritual leader of the home, to be in control, but you were all whipped by your mates. Look at the only one of my sons that stood up and made me proud. Learn from him. Tell them, my son, how did you manage to be the only one in this line? And the man replied, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? That's right. But, uh, but the point is, at first glance, that guy, he appeared to be the only one who had it all together, didn't he? Right? But when the truth came out, man, he was just as lost as the rest of the guys, wasn't he? Okay? And folks, when it comes to married life, how many guys can identify with this feeling of being lost sometimes? Okay, so what's going on there? I mean, sometimes that's the game we play, especially as Christians. We act like we got it all together. But if truth be known, hey, we got just as many troubles uh, as other people as well. And apparently that's why one guy said this. He's learned the secret. Listen, he's learned the secret, Ruth, to a successful, healthy marriage. Okay, and here's what he and his wife do. Uh, uh, twice a week, he and his wife, listen, they go to a nice restaurant and they have some good food and companionship. She goes Tuesdays and he goes Fridays. <laughs> but seriously, folks, once again, one last time, is this the kind of relationship that God had in mind when he instituted marriage back in the Garden of Eden? No, now we do need to acknowledge, hello, Adam and Eve blew it back in the Garden of Eden, so they blew it for the chances of having a perfect marriage. But the good news is, Christian, is that even though you and I may never have a perfect marriage this side of heaven, listen, it doesn't mean we have to resign ourselves to a life of personal pain and silent suffering. God said it, it wouldn't be easy. He said it's just going to take some time and it's going to take some what? Work. Why? Because contrary to the life society, marriages are not made in heaven where they're made. They're made, they're built here on earth. Therefore, one more week, that's right, we're going to continue in our study, a marriage built to last, okay? If you've been journeying with us so far, we saw that first step in building that lasting marriage was to acknowledge that men and women, hello, are different. Anybody still figure that one out yet? At least you got that one, praise God. Okay, the second one, that love is an action. It's not just a feeling. The third thing, you need to romance each other, not just before, but after you get married. What a concept. The fourth one we saw was the need for communication. That's right, I'll communicate that again. The need for communication. We dealt with that three times in a row. That's how important, folks, you need that in your marriage. The fifth step we saw was the need for, what's that communication lead to? Reconciliation. The goal is to come back together again after you have that disagreement in communication in love and friendship. The sixth was the need for honor. The seventh was the need for intimacy. The eighth step was the need for biblical men. And if you were here last time, that's right, ladies, you got your turn. We saw the ninth one was the need for biblical women. Okay? And what we saw there that, listen, if marriages and society are going to be put back on the right track, then we don't just need men who are spiritual leaders. Ladies, you got to do your part too. We need ladies who will be spiritual supporters. God's women, spiritual supporters. And the Bible says, ladies, you're doing that. Listen, when you're a nurturing support, a respectful support, and an encouraging support. 
Use the power of your words to be that cheerleader in the home, okay? Why? Because, listen, people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag or discourage them to be. I like what one guy said. He says, you know, nagging, he says, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't kill you. He says, it's, it's, it's kind of like being slowly pecked to death by a duck, okay? And uh, ladies, the Bible says you need to be that cheerleader. Men, as, as ladies, uh, men, uh, words of encouragement to a guy are like oxygen to the soul. Use your words, encourage us to uh, enable us to be that king so we can treat you like the queen. It works both ways, okay? But that's not all. Uh, I'm still on it, so guess what? That's right, Freddie, there's got to be more. Uh, and there is. Uh, the final one, that's right, at least what I'm going to deal with. How do you build that lasting marriage? Listen to this, folks. We need a need for a strong family. We have to acknowledge there's a need, folks. We've got to go one step further than marriage, often what follows marriage, and we start to need to build strong families, okay? We've been seeing, folks, throughout our study that having a successful marriage today, even as Christians, it's not easy, is it? And it's because it's being attacked by societies. We saw the last two weeks, they're attacking the role of the man. They're attacking the role of the woman, okay? The woman, okay? And now they're attacking even, they're downplaying, redefining not just marriage, but they're attacking that which follows marriage, i.e. family. And taking cheap shots at family, okay? As if that's not a gift from God. Let me give you a couple examples. Richard Pryor, remember him? Okay, he said this. He said, listen, family is a mixed blessing. I mean, you're glad you have one. But it's also like receiving a life sentence for a crime you didn't even commit. <laughs> right? Another guy, he said this, he said, uh, he said, some family trees have a tendency to bear a, an enormous crop of nuts. Okay, but we won't go there. Now, and, and there might be some truth to those statements. Okay. Uh, but what we got to get through our heads, Christians, listen, is we not only need strong marriages to keep our society from falling apart, we need strong families to keep society from falling apart. Okay, because it's the family unit that is under attack uh, as well. Okay, and so we're going to take a look at some practical ways. How do you maintain then that which follows marriage uh, uh, family? How do you keep your family strong? Anybody say that's a good thing to do? Hey, great answer. We're going to do it anyway. But uh, anyway, uh, the first thing you need to do is, uh, folks, you need to get to the point where as a couple, you're sharing your problems between each other. What? Yeah. Did you know the Bible has a term for this? It's called leave and cleave. Turn to somebody and say, leave and cleave. Okay? But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Take a look at where this first occurs. Genesis chapter 2. If you find the first page of the Bible, what do you do? Hang it right there. And uh, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the instance of God creating man and God creating woman. And then we're going to see a little bit further this week uh, what follows that. What is God's design for marriage, okay? Need to get out there, multiply, uh, fill the planet, and, and procreate, okay? And this is what he says here. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 uh, through 24, okay? Let's take a look at what the scripture says. It says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And again, he was excited. She shall be called what? Whoa, man! And she was taken out of man. Okay, now, keep reading. This is where we left off last time. Now, what's the whole purpose of God creating man and women? He says it right here. For this what? Reason. For this reason. Why is he doing this? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united or literally cleave to his wife. And what's the goal when that happens? They will become one flesh. If you would do just that, leave and cleave. And that's the problem. According to the Bible, folks, right after the first man and the first woman, 
They came together in the first marriage and God charges them right there in that text. If you're paying attention, you need to do something if you're going to have a strong marriage and a strong family. And he says right there, you first need to leave behind your previous family and in essence, get busy creating your own. Okay? And the reason why I believe, because I've seen this and dealt with this in counseling, is one of the fastest ways for you to weaken your marriage, weaken your family, okay, is for one or both of the spouses to mentally or emotionally uh, 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 refuse to leave the parents' home. Okay? And one of the biggest signs that you're doing that is, listen, when you're sharing all your problems, not with each other, but with the father and the mother. And I'm talking down to the nitty-gritty ones that, frankly, is none of their business. You need to work them out. Dad, you won't believe it. He's there, and he was out there, and he put his tools on top of my coat, and it got a stain on it, and I can't take it anymore. What? You're calling Dad for that? Mom, you won't believe it. She's cooking this stuff. I don't even know what it is. It's supposed to be gravy, but I think it's sheetrock putty. Mom, what am I going to do? You're calling Mom for that? What? Okay. And here's the point, instead of learning how to deal with your own unique challenges as a family, all right, some couples never get around to cutting the umbilical cord. Okay, now what the problem is, when you don't cut the cord, it invites discord with the in-laws. Okay, like this couple, there was this married couple who had been uh, uh, driving down a country road for several miles, and they, didn't, they weren't even saying a word to each other. Because earlier they had this discussion that led into an argument, but as Christians, we don't do that. We have intense moments of fellowship. But anyway, and so they led to this argument, and neither of them wanted to concede their position, right? Well, soon they passed this barnyard of mules and pigs, and, and out of the silence, the, the wife sarcastically said to her husband, Relatives of yours? And the husband replied, Yeah, in-laws. <laughs> yeah, I know you're going to memorize that response, but anyway, don't do it. All right. But uh, anyway, it's obviously that there was some conflict going on there with the in-laws, right? Okay. And I'm telling you folks, if you don't uh, learn to leave and cleave, uh, pretty soon the in-laws are going to be like outlaws. Okay. Uh, it's not going to go well. Okay. And fortunately, I know Brandy's not here today. Um, and, uh, but uh, the good news is, Brandy and I, we don't have this problem. I mean, she's got a great set of in-laws. Yeah, I digress. Uh, like I said, she wasn't here. But anyway, but have you ever wondered why, frankly, beyond marriage, you get married, you think things are going great and everything should be working out fine, right? Ah, uh, now you do have a problem with the in-laws. What? Why, how did that happen? Well, could it be that the newly married couple refused to do what the scripture said to do? Leave and cleave. You need to leave and you need to cleave, okay? And it starts to create wedges in the family. Now, I want to clarify something here. There's a balance here. This leaving and cleaving principle does not mean, Christian, that we can't share our problems or, listen, ask advice once in a while from mom and dad. I don't know if you've learned this or not, but sometimes mom and dad are a little bit wiser than us. Ooh, it's hard to admit, isn't it? Okay, right? They might, not, they might know something we don't, right? And life has a great way of giving you wisdom just by living longer. Okay, so you might want to go to them once in a while for advice. I'm not saying you can't do that. Although, if we're honest with each other, growing up, sometimes the decisions mom and dad made, they freak you out. You might want to think twice about it like this guy shares. Let's take a look. Parents sing these wild lullabies to their kids. You ever listen to the words to some of these songs? No wonder we're out of our mind. <laughs> Heard a rockabye baby? Listen to the words to that. Rockabye baby on the treetops. <laughs> Does that not weird anybody out here? Are you guys... The baby's in a tree! 
doesn't bother you? When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the ball breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. We need to call Child Protective Services on these parents, leaving their baby in a stinky tree. The worst prayers, they gotta be the prayers that parents pray with their kids. No wonder they don't want to go to bed at night. My parents used to pray this with me in the dark when I was a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord myself to give. If I should die, before I wake, I pray the Lord Sweet dreams. <laughs> See you in the morning. Maybe. I don't know. 50-50. I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> All right, so maybe mom and dad made some weird decisions, and you might want to uh, keep that in mind, okay? But again, nursery rhymes aside, that doesn't mean that your mom and dad might not have some good wisdom or advice on some other things, okay? Uh, again, life has a way of teaching you some wisdom. And so if you don't want to learn everything the hard way, you might want to pay attention to the parents who've been there, done that, okay? I will have a caveat on that, though, is listen, if you are going to do that, listen, then you need to seek parental advice in agreement with each other and don't do it behind the other person's back, all right? If you're going to do it, I'm not saying don't do it, you better be in agreement, Okay, and don't do it behind uh, back. But what it does mean, folks, when it comes to sharing your problems is you probably shouldn't share every single thing that goes wrong in your personal issues with mom and dad. Why? Because here's what it creates, folks. This is the outlaw scenario with the in-laws. Okay, right or wrong, guess whose side of the argument, by and large, the parent's probably going to fall on? Their own child. It's only naturally. So here's what happens. Now, next time you guys get together as a family... Okay, the son and daughter-in-law, you get the cold shoulder, the evil eye. You're just trying to enjoy the mashed potatoes and everybody's looking like you in dead silence staring at you like you're the Antichrist. Why? Because they, unbeknownst to you, your spouse has been filling their brain with all these little, you're the gravy, you're the toolbox. And now when you come together, it's created hassle. It doesn't mean you can't go to mom and dad for advice. If you do, be in agreement about it make sure you're on the same page, then approach, okay? But come on, you got to learn to deal with your individual problems between each other. If we're going to maintain a strong family, we've got to share our problems with each other, not just our father or our mother. And listen, we need to do what the scripture says to do. You need to leave and cleave, right? You need to start creating your own family, is what the text says. The second uh, way that we maintain a strong family is we need to show our dependency upon each other. Our dependency upon each other. Turn to somebody and say, we're one flesh. And hopefully that was your spouse. Okay, because that's what it's supposed to be. Uh, this is what Paul's talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11. He says, nevertheless, in the plan of who? This is God's plan. Not society's plan. This is God's plan. 
And then from his point of view, the woman is not apart from and independent of man, nor is man aloof from and independent of the woman. Okay? You're tied together literally uh, at the hip is the impression. Okay? And so now the Bible tells us a second thing. If you're going to have a strong family, the couple needs to do after you get married, you not only leave behind your previous family and get busy creating your own, now you leave behind your previous identity and you get busy creating your own. The Bible's plan we saw in Genesis chapter 2 is the goal of this whole principle is you come together as two? No, one. One flesh, okay? In fact, you can take this leave and cleave principle a step further. In the Hebrew, literally cleave there, the idea is if you were to take two pieces of paper and not just stick them together, but if you were to super glue them together completely all around the edges inside the whole night, put them babies together, let them dry uh, what would happen if you tried to take those two pieces of paper apart? It'd shred you apart. And the Bible says that's your goal. That's your one flesh. That's what you're doing when you're cleaving. That's what the Hebrew says. You're that stuck together. Okay, now here's the problem. That's not what society encourages us to do, is it? Our society says don't cleave together. You need to maintain your identity. You need to be two independent islands, right? Is exactly what they say, okay? And, and they do it in a couple different ways. And the first way, they're encouraging couples to maintain your independence instead of being dependent, one flesh, cleaving together, is they train us by using uh, verbal independence. They get us to keep uh, proclaiming our independence verbally. And this is why, it's kind of funny, but I, I, I counsel couples in premarital counseling, uh, start switching your words, Okay, and, and, and what society says is you need to maintain these kind of phrases. This is what I want to do. This is my car. This is my money. This is what works best for me. Excuse me? You're one flesh now. The Bible says when you get married, listen, listen, your decisions aren't just what's right for he or she, but what's right for the family. You're dependent upon one another. Okay? The things you own prior to marriage no longer belong to you. They belong to the whole household too. Although Brandy can have those knick-knack paddywhacks all she wants. I don't want them things. You know, whatever. But seriously, it's all, all together now. It's all together. It's not my, he, yours, there. It's us. Okay? The second way they get us to declare our independence instead of dependence is by being physically independent. Now we need to take actions to maintain that independent society would say. And let me give you a couple examples. And this is really uh, popular nowadays. And it just personally drives me up a wall. Uh, and especially if Christians do this. And, and it, here's the first way they do it. Is the ladies refuse to change their last name. You're being old fashioned. No I'm not. I'm being biblical. You're coming under the headship of the man. Right? You need to cleave. You need to leave behind mom and dad. And you're now taking a new name under the headship of this man. And if that's uncomfortable for you, then maybe you shouldn't marry him in the first place. Right? You need to leave, you need to cleave. You need to take under the... But they say, no, 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 keep your own name. Hyphenate it, do whatever you want. Uh, they say, no, no, here's what you need to do. You need to maintain two separate checking accounts. How many problems does that create? This is my money. No, this is my money. This is my... Excuse me? It's our money, wherever it comes from. Because we're one flesh now. Or I know, no, go, why don't you just go ahead and go to the ultimate extreme. Why don't you just go ahead now and, and prepare that prenuptial agreement, right? I mean, you know, just in case things don't work out. But hello, things aren't ever going to work out if you start your marriage off with these kind of independent actions. You are asking, you're inviting, you're literally now expecting it to not work out 
and you're sabotaging it. If we're going to have strong families, we've got to show our dependency upon each other. We have got to come together as one flesh, not two separate islands. We need to cleave, as the scripture says, if you're going to be that strong family. The third way that we maintain a strong family, and this is, this is cool. We learned this, frankly, the hard way. We didn't even realize we were doing this, Brandy and I, until later. But you start creating your own memories together, okay? That you start creating your own memories together. Now, we've seen this passage before in our study. Ecclesiastes talks about time and the importance of time. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, 2, and 4 says this. Everything on earth has its own what? Its own time and its own season. Now, there's a time for birth and there's a time for death. A time for planning and for reaping. A time for crying and laughing. A time for weeping and for dancing. And you probably could be weeping at the same time if you watch me try to dance, but we won't go there. Okay, but the point is this, the passage, Solomon uh, writing this, says that time is not just valuable, but it's obvious that time is required if you're going to share those special times in life, right? He says there, listen, uh, uh, if you're going to experience together some of life's most touching moments, it's when you take the time to be there for that birth. It's when the you take the time to be there as a family for the death of that loved one. It's when you take the time to laugh together, to cry together, to dance, to weep, right? You've got to take time. And the reason why that's important, folks, is because that has a way of bonding you together. I'll get to that in a second. But here's the problem. For some reason, when we're newlyweds, man, we... We're, we are attached to a hip. Somebody did super glue us. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're everywhere we're going. Can I go on? We're going. You're two peas in a pod. You spend so much time together. Nobody makes you do it. You didn't have to hear a sermon on it. You're spending all kinds of time as a newlywed. And I think you reap the benefits of that. But what happens is after a while, we get married. We kind of do our own separate thing. We don't, we, don't, we don't spend as much time together. And so we go from the newlyweds to the not no so newlyweds, and it creates some friction like these guys. Let's take a look. Do these pants make me look fat? What? You look like a supermodel. You look fantastic. Newlyweds. Do these pants make me look fat? We could get you a treadmill for Christmas if you really wanted one. Ah! Not so newlyweds. Hey. I heard the car pull up. Let me get one of these bags. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Newlyweds. Honey, there's, there's somebody at the door. Not so newlyweds. You look really handsome tonight. It's only because I have to keep up with my beautiful wife. Newlyweds. You know, you could have at least not worn a hat. At a pizza joint, not a rehearsal dinner. Not so newlyweds. Honey, that, you missed your turn. Oh, oh, sorry, I'll turn around. No worries, we can be a little late. Newlyweds. I can't believe you just missed your turn again. Do you want me to drive? Sure, if you, you want. You know what? Just get us there. Not so newlyweds. <laughs> just get us there. Oh, wow. Uh, anyway, I don't think that has anything to do with Oz and Michaela not being here today. But uh, maybe they didn't get here. But anyway, that's right. But uh, how many guys would say the couple's having a few problems there? You know what I'm saying? It starts out great, newlyweds, woohoo, and all of a sudden you turn into those not-so-newlyweds. Have you ever thought about why that's such a common scenario, even to the point where we all recognize it and we laugh at it? 
Well, I mean, could it be because, folks, we're not sharing time together? And listen, the benefit of sharing time together is when you do that and you create a memory, it bonds you together. Now, let me share the general rule when it comes to creating memories to help bond you together as a family. Listen to this. The more bizarre, the more unpleasant, the better. Because it locks it into memory, okay? Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, uh, Brandy and I, one time we were in uh, California, a crazy busy schedule, and, uh, and so we decided, you know what, we're going to commit the time. Like, you've got to take the time. All right, you've got to take the time. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, commit the time. We're going to uh, go for a nice, warm uh, summer's day drive, right? And we're going to head out into the foothills, and we're going to go to this uh, used bookstore, get some Mexican food, just, just spend the whole day together. It's going to be awesome. It's been a long time since we've done that. We're, that's what we're going to do. And so I kid you not, we were all excited. We're getting ready to do that. And we're getting ready to approach the last busy intersection before you start heading out in the foothills there in Sacramento. And, uh, and the windows were down, and it was a nice, warm, sunny day, and enjoying the breeze. And I, I can almost sense this romantic memory being created with my wife and I. It was awesome, Ruth. And then all of a sudden, Brandy starts screaming at the top of her lungs. I mean, this blood-curdling thing. Instantly, man, I am pumped full of adrenaline. I'm sitting there thinking, romance, romance. And so I'm pumped full of adrenaline, right? And I'm sitting there going, man, what in the world is going on? Does she see what I don't see? Is there a semi coming? I can't see it. We're about to crash. Is there, is there a plane getting ready to smash us from on top? Did she finally crack from listening to all my corny jokes? I don't know. Any three of those uh, could have been viable options, okay? But she's screaming this blood-curdling thing, right? And, and I'm still trying to drive, and I'm trying to stop at this busy intersection. This is all happening at the same time, right? And so me being the non-emotional guy that I am, okay, my keen eye observed that a, I can't, true story, a bee had flown into the window and stung my wife. You know, we had to have the windows down for the nice romantic summer's breeze, right? So the bee was there in my wife's lap and it stung her, it's still there, so she's, you know, this going. So I did what any red-blooded American husband would do, and I grabbed my wife's purse that was down by her feet, and I started beating her with it. I smack it. I'm driving with one hand. I'm beating her with the purse on the other hand. Right? She's still like that. Okay. Well, I finally it was to kill the bee. Hello. Okay. So, so I finally. So I killed the bee, right? Mission accomplished. I conquered that thing, right? And it was, I kid you not, man, it was only after, the brain started to calm down a little bit, and uh, it was only after uh, I put the purse back down, I killed the bee, uh, that it dawned on me, wait a second. All those people in those other cars at that busy intersection <laughs> probably just got a different point of view. <laughs> man, dude, I got out of that intersection so fast. It's just... <laughs> I just hear him say, there goes that preacher again beating his wife. He's like, oh, get me out of here. Right? Oh, it was amazing. Another one, my wife and I, apparently I call us bondaholics because we bond quite frequently with our weird experiences. Another one was a vacation we had. And uh, this was when Rebecca was little. And uh, for some reason, you know, didn't have much money. You're trying to be a wise steward. And so, you know, we're borrowing stuff. And, and we borrowed this... this, uh, this uh, camper and old truck and stuff like that and we're going to save some money whatever but anyway so we decided apparently to reenact a, a scene from a Walt Disney movie okay only this one apparently is entitled this two crazy people in a 1980 overheating Chevy pickup truck hauling a disease infected pop-up camp trailer with a screaming colicky baby and two wiener dogs who expel gaseous fumes every five seconds because they get nervous traveling cars vacation of doom do you guys see that show oh we lived it oh, oh. We thought we were going to have this great Disney vacation thing. It ain't working. Okay, anyway, so I tell you what. Hey, it's a little side note here. Uh, 
the, the whole arsenal biological warfare, hey, nothing shakes a stick at Wiener Dog Fog. Oh, those guys, oh man, they used to bottle that stuff. But, anyway, but that was just the beginning, just getting there. Right? And this is the old 80s, her grandpa's truck was overheating, kept having water. I'm driving through the mountains, I look back and I'm like, what a stupid idiot. We could have broke down, been stuck in the middle of nowhere, whatever. We're, pull, we're pulling this disease pop, and it was disease, man. It was a, a pop-up camp-up trailer, you know, those old ones, you crank up like that, and it's got the two sides that pop out. I mean, we did it before we left the house, and it was all sticky and yucky, and ugh, whatever. but you're saving money, right? Right? <laughs> So we finally get to the Redwoods, which is where we were going to create this wonderful family memory. Have a great vacation, right? And so we get there, things start to calm down, whatever. And so I'm the guy, so I'm setting up the, you know, Brandy's doing the food part. I'm getting the old camper up and cranking it up right there. And I get the two sides extended, whatever. But, uh, but you know, it was, it was fine when I got in it. Um, I didn't think we needed to have those stabilizer arm things at the end, those posts. Everything was fine until that night. And uh, we were all sleeping... <laughs> All sleeping on the one side with the bed. Rebecca's a little baby, you know, whatever. And so I just say, oh, I need to get something on the other side. Okay? So I go over to the other side. And here it goes, John. It started like, it was like the flying Walindas. You know what I'm saying? We're on this teeter-totter. All of a sudden, that thing goes down. And Rebecca goes, poof. Right there. Lands on her head as a baby. Brandy starts screaming again. So I go, oh. So I go back over this side. Guess what happens over here? Goes down here, right? Well, all those cans that we stored because we're saving money, right? Boom, launch out. It's like a, a cannon. All I got to say is praise God they didn't have YouTube back then or cell phones with cameras because we would have been on there. You know, hey, the flying Willindas come to the Redwoods. That was, uh, it was, it was pretty rough. But, uh, but here's the point. <laughs> Although we didn't appreciate these bizarre and somewhat painful experiences at the time, Brandy and I honestly can look back now and laugh okay and because we could see how these experiences we took the time to create a memory uh, bizarre albeit but it helped us to bond together okay and if you think about it folks it's the same thing with us when you take the time and commit the time to share an experience together at least put yourself in a position what happens is it bonds you together. Have you ever paid attention to what you do as a family every time you get together as a family especially around the holidays and stuff what do you do you get around and you share memories. Remember that time, Wes? Remember that time you were riding your bike and we were kids, we were having that race, and you said, ha, 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 I'm going to beat you, and somebody stuck the stick in your tire and you went, and you broke your leg. <laughs> right? We share those stories, right? And I'm telling you, when you take the time to create your own memories, which requires taking the time, it bonds you together as a family. It bonds you together as a family. If we're going to maintain strong families, we've got to start creating our own memories. Listen, we've got to take the time to share our lives together so we can bond together in those memories, okay? The final way, and frankly, the most important way, man, if you, uh, please do the first three too, uh, but uh, if, if you can only do one, you've got to do this one. This, I saved it for the last. The fourth practical way to maintain a strong family is you need to set Jesus Christ as top priority. You need to set Jesus Christ as top priority. And I don't know why, folks, we seem to skip over this part, but the Bible's very clear. You better put God first. Okay? And this is what he says. It, you're wasting your time if you don't, Christian. Psalm 127, verse 1. Just one verse says this. Without the help of the Lord, it's what? It's useless. Give it up. It's in vain. You're wasting your time. Without the help of the Lord, it is useless to build a home or to what? Guard a city. It's not going to happen. It's what the scripture has to say, okay? And so this is what the Bible says. The number one thing 
that a couple needs to do to reverse it, if you will. You not only need to leave behind your previous family, your previous identity, your previous memories. Now the Bible says the first thing you need to do is you need to leave behind your previous priorities and you need to get busy as a family setting God up as the number one top priority in the house. Okay, the number one top priority. It is, listen folks, one of the worst things you could do, hello, especially as a Christian, the worst thing you could do for your marriage or your family is either for one or both of you spouses, listen, to refuse to let God build the home. Well, how do you do that? You never attend services. You're sporadic. You never crack open the Bible. You never pray. You never witness. You don't do the things that we Christians do. Right? It's only, somebody's got somebody's to call you. Somebody's got to remind you. Somebody's got to twist your arm. Somebody's got to pull your teeth. That's a sign. You're not letting God. You're not being saying, God, build this house. I'm following you. I need you. Build my home. Build my family. Build my marriage. Build my kids. It's when you're faithful and doing it. The Bible says, listen, God, who is the one who, listen, instituted marriage, okay? And he's the only one who can keep us from splitting apart in a world that is falling apart. It is from the maker of the stars, not our society, not secular psychology. It is from Almighty God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we seek wisdom, direction, and strength for our marriages and our family. Amen. That's what it says. Why? Because don't, this is common sense. Don't you think, and we read the opening text again, Genesis 2. Don't you think the one who created people and marriage would know just what's best for people's marriages? It's a no-brainer, right? So why go anywhere else? Why try any other way? Okay, but here's what's kind of cool. There is a fantastic side effect, and I want to give you a visual here in a second. There's a fantastic side effect of what happens when both spouses, not just one, when both spouses set God up as top priority and get serious putting him in charge of the home, letting him build the home, okay? It propels you, believe it or not, into an awesome unity that you may not see physically, but you do see it spiritually. Let me give you a visual, see if I can uh, do that. That's the old uh, analogy of the, the triangle. You got the husband down here, you got the wife down here, you got God at the apex, all right? Now, notice the difference, distance between the husband and wife. Still got distance between them. Well, how are you gonna get them closer? How, what's the ultimate goal for one flesh? How are you gonna get one flesh? You got two. Well, let's say that one of the spouses Okay, beat your sharp stick in the eye. One of the spouses, let's say the husband, is seeking Jesus Christ every single day. He's a lover of Jesus. He's seeking God. He's asking him. Okay, and that's great. Praise God. At least one of you are. But notice the distance between the husband and the wife. It's still the same. And you can flip it around. The wife or the husband, whatever. But here's the incredible benefit. And I think this is what God wants us to know about the deeper reality of what can become as one flesh. Now, if the husband now and the wife... Seek God at the same time. Notice what happens naturally, whether you see it or not, the distance between the two. It naturally shortens and you're drawn together deeply as you let God build the home. And folks, as we close with our study today, listen, this is our choice every single day, Christian, when we get out of bed. We can either, either set God as top priority and being drawn together in deep unity, or we can keep on listening to the society and experience nothing but separation and disunity. That's the way it works. If we're going to maintain strong families, we have to set God. Right now, today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Why? Because without the help of the Lord, you're wasting your stinking time. It is useless to build the home. The good news is, he is the one who can give you the strength, everything you need, the wisdom, the direction, the tenacity 
to maintain that strong family. Folks, this is the great news we've seen throughout our study. Being married doesn't mean our lives, Christians, even Christians, has to be filled with personal pain and silent suffering. God never said it'd be easy. He just said it's going to take some time and it's going to take some work. And if we could just acknowledge, even today, this need for a strong family and all the other things we saw in this study, the good news is payoff is here. God will enable you to have a marriage and a family built to last. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment 
we are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.